There are certain movies in our culture that have become somewhat classics. Ones that uh, we see often in we, certain scenes, certain um, statements, certain lines from the movie become part of our everyday speech and everyday talking. Of course, one of the classic movie series was the Indiana Jones um, series and began with the Ark of the Covenant, then went to um, some Indian kind of strange thing, and then it went to the Holy Grail, and then it went got really weird with the whole um, alien thing. But there's one scene, particularly in the um, in the Last Crusade, that I think speaks a little bit about some of the things that we're talking about as we talk about the life of Abraham that I think helps to set sort of the direction we move in in this message. Take a look and see if you remember this scene. Remember what's happening. Only in the leap from the lion's head. You remember that movie? You remember that as he stepped out, we all wondered what was going to happen? In the wonderful drawing and sketching that made it look like he was stepping into the abyss, but actually right there was the path to the other side. I have no doubt that when this was written, that some of the things that I see in there were not a part of the, the author's thoughts. But I thought about how, as a believer, so many elements there are kind of part of our lives. Did you notice that before he took that step, he was checking the book? The book that gave him the instructions. The book that gave him a clarity of what he needed to do. Obviously, there's the idea of the step of faith, where he steps out and based upon that knowledge and that understanding and his reasoning, remember earlier in the movie as he figures out the knives that come and cut people's heads off and, you know, stepping out in the name of Christ. And there's some wonderful little illustrations that are there. I thought about the fact that when you put it all together, there was a point to where he just needed to make a step. There was a critical nature to what was going on. At some point, he had to to choose and decide. And then once he made that step, I don't know if you notice, but I kind of watched the scene a couple times this week. He gets real close to the edge as he's walking across that little bridge. But he needed to stay on the path that was directly in front of him. So much of that is true in terms of our own lives. And I love the music that the worship team chose this morning because so much of it spoke about God directing us, God leading us, God sending us in the paths that he would have us to walk. And one of the things that we find out, again, even as you watch the video clip, I don't think this was part of 
you know, Spielberg's ideas as he was writing it, but that idea that it's only the next step that God leads. That God doesn't lead often years ahead, but talks about the next step and leads us in that next step that we're taking. And the other thing that I thought about is when you and I are making decisions, particularly about the future, it's always a step out into the abyss. We don't know what's ahead. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what's going to happen. But yet God asked me to make those directions, those steps, and he will guide my path. He will direct me. Well, that's what we've been talking about as we're in Genesis chapter 24. If you have your Bibles turned, there's a couple of verses we're going to look at as we go through there. But the whole idea of, Gen- I mean, of Genesis chapter 24 is this. It is God guiding. It is God leading. It is God directing the paths of that one who is seeking to know what God would have him to do. And Genesis 24, as you go all the way through, the theme is God lead, God direct, God guide, God bring about. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. Show me. And over and over and over again, you see that theme in Genesis chapter 24. The idea that the author is trying to get across to us is this, that God guides those who seek his guidance. He directs us. He leads our lives. He moves us in the directions that he would have us to move in. God knows the path of tomorrow. God knows the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first letter in the Greek alphabet and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. He's written to us that his scripture that shows us that he is working his plan in a direction. And when we seek God's guidance, he will give it. He will provide it. Now, we began last week looking at this passage, and we said that guidance is necessary to help us navigate the different types of decisions we face. Not all decisions are equally important. Whether or not I wore my narrow-striped shirt this morning, or whether or not I wore my broader-striped shirt this morning, or whether I re- re- whether I wore a button shirt, or a, it, you know, it didn't matter. Other than whether there's a stain on it, then it does matter to my wife. And that one, I'm not allowed to wear. There are other decisions that are much more important. There was somebody that I was following as I was coming to church this morning who um, I, I know and uh, is, um, I know through families here at the church, and, and I know they were heading to church. I couldn't catch up with them. Now, I, I'm not a conservative driver. But this person was, and, and I had to make the decision, and it became kind of a decision of wisdom. Do I to speed up to say hi? And I kept beeping my horn, and they never looked. Either that or they were embarrassed and didn't want to look. I'm not sure. But there's a decision. Do I do the speed limit? Do I? That's a little more serious. There are decisions of, do I show up at church this morning? You know, a lot of people will tease me, and I'll say, I'll see you Sunday. And usually my response will be like, yeah, if I feel like it. And that might be a tough decision to make. I don't feel like going to church this morning. You know, Cindy will say, yeah, but you have to go. I don't want to go. I have to go. I don't want to go. But you have to go. Why do I have to go? Well, you're the pastor. You know? <laughs> kind of expected. And then there are moral decisions. And we talked about these three kinds of decisions. We talked about moral decisions. Those are the ones that God's word gives us clear direction. There is no question. This is what God would have us to do. The, the, the reflections of his purposes and the reflection of his character. Things like honesty. Things like integrity. Things like, you know, 
um, choosing not to be lustful, not to be greedy, not to be prideful. Uh, things like morality and, and the commandments of God that say that, you know, the sexual relationship is that which takes place between a husband and wife in a marriage. The, the idea that I don't steal from my employer. All those kinds of things. And the decision I make is simply to say, God has said this is what he expects of us. This is what he expects of me. It is clear in his word. Therefore, my response is either repentance in terms of where I have failed and accepting his forgiveness or obedience in terms of where I seek to follow his direction. There are wisdom decisions, which are sort of the second category. And those are the decisions where God's word doesn't say thou shalt, but they are incredibly important decisions. Nowhere in scripture did I find the verse that says thou shalt marry Cindy. But can we admit that was a phenomenally important decision? And there were a lot of biblical principles that were significant in making that decision. You know, I've shared before, I made the decision to marry Cindy, but if I had been counseling us in premarital counseling, I'd have told Cindy, don't marry that jerk. But she felt God was leading. We prayed about it. What church should I pastor at? The decision that Cindy and I were in the midst of seven and eight years ago, and not now, don't worry. That was an important decision. Cindy and I are in the midst of making a decision. When do we retire? What does that look like? Those are big, important decisions, and God leads us. God directs us. We talked a little bit last week, who do I... Vote for. It's a big decision right now. What is it, 70 days or left, something like that? And then there are mundane decisions, the decisions that are mostly inconsequential, and they only involve an informed choice. Is the shirt washed this morning? Is it ready to go? Is it appropriate? Yes put it on, and walk out the door. Now, we see those kinds of decisions in our lives, and and the question becomes, how does God lead? The first one is easy. God's word says, thou shalt. I was thinking about some of the things that are so clear in our our culture that, that are decisions. It's decisions like abortion. becomes very clear in Scripture. Life begins at conception. How do I know that? God's Word declares it. God's Word declares that there is an involvement with God with me at the moment of conception. God's Word says that the taking of an innocent life is wrong. Period. End of discussion. But then those wisdom decisions, those are the ones we really ask, how does God lead? How does God lead in what church I should attend? How does God lead in what school I should go to? How does God lead in what person I should marry or date or all those decisions that we make in our lives? Well, the first thing that we said last week, and I want to emphasize again, because it is the emphasis of the text, is this. God guides those who, in faith, willingly seek his leadership and his leading. One of the most wonderful things about Genesis chapter 24 is God never says a word. God never speaks. You can read through all 60-some verses that are there, and you will never see where it says, God said. But yet, he is dominant all the way through. And what God is doing in those circumstances is he's leading providentially. He's directing the paths of this servant as the servant is going out looking for a wife for Isaac. And, you know, you've read the book, you've seen the movie, the story that's kind of behind this where, where 
Abraham is getting old. He's about 110 years old now, and Sarah has passed away. His son is now 37 years old. God has said that it was through the generations that would follow that he would bless Abraham and all of the world. There was only one problem. First of all, Isaac was getting older. Second of all, Isaac didn't have a wife. And third, Isaac didn't have any potential at that time to have offspring. So Abraham said, it's time to find him a wife. Now, That would not go well in our culture. Don't worry, those of you who are older teens, I'm not saying that God says that your parents ought to go out and find you a husband or wife and, you know, put it together. That wouldn't work in our culture. And that's how it was done then. And so he sends out a trusted servant. We don't know who the servant was. We don't even know his name. But you have the path that the servant takes as the servant heads back to the homeland of Abraham to find a wife that would not be part of the Canaanites, that that corrupted society in which Abraham was dwelling. And so he sends his servant back to his homeland and says, now make sure Isaac stays in the land God promised, but find him a wife back there. And so the servant says, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And in the midst of it, he says, here's my plan. I'm going to come to a well, and I'm going to say, Lord, direct me. And if there's a woman that comes out, and she offers me a drink, and she's willing to be kind to me, that'll be the first thing. But then if she says, well, listen, I won't only give you a drink. I'll, I'll water all of your camels. Now, I don't know if you know how much water a camel can drink. Forty gallons. And he says, you know, lead me through those circumstances. And Rebecca comes out. She gives the servant a drink. She says, let me water all of your camels. Ten of them. And he says, you know what, God? I think you're leading. And as you read the rest of the story, you find that God's hand was involved in putting that servant in the right place at the right time to accomplish God's purpose. Now, how do I know that? If you read through Genesis chapter 24 over and over and over and over and over, get the idea? Again. There is the idea of God leading him, of God directing him. Genesis chapter 24, verse 12. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show me kindness. Direct me in what I am doing. Again, in Genesis chapter 24 and in verse 23, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Who was hands was involved? God's hand was involved. You jump down to verse 29. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master, but has led me to the very girl that is a relative, a great niece of Abraham. You see it again in verse 40. You see it again in verse 42. You see it again in verse 48. You see it again in verse 50. When the father and the, and the uncle, I mean the mother and the uncle, or the father and the uncle of, of Rebecca come and say, this is God's hand. We will respond positively. Why? Because we see God moving. Over and over again, God's hand was involved in moving and directing. But yet, he doesn't speak a word. Nowhere do you read here, and God said, but God guided, God directed. It's not only an Old Testament principle, you find it in Scripture. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe. Can remember that little video clip? Do you remember what Indy's father kept saying to him? You must believe. You must believe. He must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave 
of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, doubting that as God provides that leadership, well, well I, you know, maybe he is and maybe, he, you know, we go through all of that sort of difficulty and back and forth. Believe that God is leading. I love this passage. I think this was the New Century Version. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Not that we don't use our reason and our understanding. We do. But that's not the sole source. What should I do? Seek God's, his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. But I have a question. How does he do that? How does God show you? In those moral decisions, it's easy. Thus saith the Lord. The clear declarations of God's word. But what about those wisdom decisions? What about those decisions that are unique to your life? To your situation? to your time, to your culture. And I wonder if I lived in the first century. One of the questions they had to answer was, do you go to the gladiatorial games or not? There's not a single verse in scripture that says, thou shalt not go to the gladiatorial games. But the, the unified testimony of the early church was, we don't go. How do they know that? How do we know in our culture that there are certain things that are wrong? Pornography. You will not find a verse that says, thou shalt not look at pornography. But you will find principles and truths about your mind and about lust and about, about those kinds of realities within the struggles of our thinking and, and what we see and what we, what we look at and the impact it has on our lives. There are so many biblical principles. And so as a unified declaration, the church says, don't look at this stuff. But where does that come from? How do we get to those decisions? And that is that God provides a means of understanding his guidance. If you seek God's guidance, he will give it. That's the testimony of someone 60 years old who has had to make tough decisions. And through all of it, God guides. This week I've gotten several emails from people in Louisiana. Many of you know that the church that I was a part of before in Louisiana, we had a massive response to Hurricane Katrina. And people are writing and saying, you know, Keith, we, we need some advice. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, and one of the things that I had to write back and say was this. Seek God's guidance. Watch his hand. Watch what he brings into your life and into your mind and into your community, and you will see God lead. How do I know that? Because for five years I watched him do that. Over and over and over and over and over again. And that's not me. That's him. And sometimes it was with a sledgehammer across the side of the head. I know it's kind of a gross image. But just to say, can I get your attention? I'm working. Stop worrying. Trust me. Now, how does God guide? How does God lead? Well, God usually guides through providential interaction. Seldom 
especially today, now that we have the complete revelation of God? Does God work through dreams or through voices or things like that? In the Old Testament, it was essential because there was no testament. There wasn't an Old Testament for much of that history, and definitely there wasn't a New Testament, and definitely there wasn't the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, though the presence of the Holy Spirit was there. And so often God would come and there would sort of be that direct voice or that direct image or that direct whatever. But even then, how many thousands of years does the Old Testament cover? Probably something like about two or 3,000 years. And you can count on two hands the number of times where God gives directly that kind of revelation. But throughout the history of the people of God, you see God's providential leading. There's another wonderful book. It's the book Esther. Again, God never speaks in the book of Esther. And yet his hand is as clear as can be. So how do you find that guidance or that direction? Now, this is not a checkoff list, but this is just some of the things that I see in this passage and I see throughout the the scriptures and the ways that God God leads. First of all, God guides through the clear teaching of his word. Whenever I am making a decision, whenever I am in the process of seeking God's wisdom, the first question I need to ask is this. Are there truths, are there principles in God's word that applies to this decision? And that's where I begin. Does God's word set parameters for me as to what is legitimate and what is not? Does it give me a general sense of direction? And I need to begin there. And again, as Moses is writing this account, as the account of of, uh, Abraham is given, and you begin there in Genesis chapter 24, you see that idea where God had spoken in the past. And so as Abraham is seeking God's direction and God's guidance, it says there in verse 7, the Lord, I'm sorry, the, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give all of these blessings but I will give you this land. And so based on that principle that God wanted Abraham and his people to dwell in the land, he made his decision. Make sure Isaac doesn't go there, but you bring his bride here. Now, one of the things, though, you need to know God's word to be able to know those principles. That's why we spend time reading God's word on a daily basis, on a, on, a, on, a, on a scheduled basis. I've told you, one of the things that just struck me so much about my father-in-law was picking up his Bible after he passed away. And in the front, he had, you know, one, two, three, four, crossover, one, two, three, four, crossover, one, two, three, four, crossover. He had 35 of them in the front of his Bible. And I think it was before he died, he told me, that's how many times I've read through the entire scriptures. 35 times. To know God's word. To seek that guidance and that direction, the principles that are found there. The second thing that you see here in Genesis chapter 24 is God guides us through the revealing of our motivations. Why am I doing this? And a lot of the books that speak about knowing God's will and knowing God's direction, they fail to talk about our motivations, the purposes of our heart. And yet God says that it's not just what we do, but why, what motivates us, that's also important. You know, he calls the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees whited sepulchers. Why? Because on the outside, they look so good. But on the inside, they stink. It's 
So God will provide for us and a way of knowing the purposes. I, I love what he says about this servant. And as we're talking about the servant and, and we're speaking about the, the reason why the servant is doing this, it says, then he prayed there in verse 12, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. And why? To show kindness to my master. He wasn't worried about his own success. He wasn't worried about his own image. He was being other-centered, caring about others. And there was a wonderful right motive in what he was doing. God reveals to us the struggles of our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. You cannot know and fix your heart by yourself. It ain't going to happen. That's God's work. That's why the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. The psalmist is writing, search me, O God, and know my heart my inner self, my my motivations, my purposes, the, the things that is so easy to hide from others. And know my anxious thought. See if there's any offensive way in me. And then God, lead me in the right path. The one that leads to life. Another verse I find so interesting. The purposes of a man's heart are a deep well, hidden. But a man of wisdom, a wise friend, an observing friend, an observing mentor, understands and draws them out. God not only wants to show us what we do, but why. And there's a need to look at our motivations and the purposes of our heart. God guides us through his responses to our prayers. Again, this wonderful story as you're reading down through it and and you see this servant of, of God over and over and over again praying and praying and praying all the way through this passage as he's praying for guidance, as he talks about how God led him in guidance through prayer. And then he praises God in prayer. And then he worships God in prayer. And over and over again, you see prayer running through this whole passage. And I love verse 15. Before he had finished praying. Later, he says, before I'd finished praying in my heart, it wasn't even outward. God heard what was going on the inside. Rebecca came. God responded. I've seen that so often. When I've been involved in praying, and as I say, God, provide guidance, provide direction. Provide leading. And the thought comes to mind of a direction to move in. Or an idea comes to mind of a way to respond. Or or a phone call suddenly comes right afterwards. And you get that sense that God is leading and directing. Because you see his hand and his response. Again, one of those stories that comes out of Katrina wasn't from our church, but was from a sister church. And I've shared this before. Of a couple who had become so despondent over ever getting their house rebuilt that the night before they prayed and said, God, if you don't send somebody tomorrow, we're committing suicide. The next day, about 9 o'clock in the morning, they heard on their front door, group from a church that had come down to Mississippi to help out was at their door saying, we're here to help you take all of the stuff out of your house and get it cleaned up. The team began to work and they worked for several hours with this couple. 
Finally, when they were taking a break, which you did often in August down in Louisiana or September, the couple said to the team leader, why did you come here? We never asked anybody. We didn't fill anything out. How did you get here? The team leader looked down at the card that sent them to that house. The team had gone to the wrong address. But in providential answer to that prayer, God moved. Now, that's a big event, I know. But look for the little things. You get up from prayer and somebody shares something or, or the phone rings or you have a sense in your mind of a direction to move. And that, that's not the only thing. You put these things together. But God leads and guides. God guides us through the application of reason. He's given us a mind. Is this a reasonable thing to do? Again, I find it so interesting as this this man is watching, this servant is watching. In verse 21, it says, without saying a word, the man watched her closely. He he observed. He, He thought through to see if God was guiding in that direction. God guides us through the application of of the mind that he's given to us. God guides us through the unique elements of our individual stories. Abraham was blessed by God and knew that God was leading and God was guiding. There's There's a wonderful book called Ministry Leaders, written by a man by the name of Clinton, that talks about when you're looking for direction in your life, look how God's been working in your life. I can remember having to make the decision, God, what direction, what career do you want me to be involved in? And what was so interesting is when I looked over the 25, 30 years of my life at that time, I saw God was constantly leading me involved with local church ministry and local church involvement. And it was like, duh. What's God been doing in your life? What are the passions he's given you? Yeah. I loved in, in the announcement the talk about what's your passion? What, what, what floats your boat? What gets you going? What has God given you as that thing that you long to be involved in? Now you've got to be careful with that. If I just went on my passion, I'd be a fishing guide for Jesus. <laughs> but I also see God's hand and the love for the local church the love for this incredibly mixed up, terrible, you know, made up of sinning people process that God works out his work. God guides us through the molding of our circumstances. Again, as you read through those passages and you read through what God was doing, God brings that woman, brings that person to that well at exactly that time. And she responds in exactly that way. Now, I'm not saying that the way you deal with God is to say, okay, God, should I go left or should I go right? If I go left, send the girl that will wash my car. If I go right, you know, no. But the idea is that God is working in the circumstances. What are the circumstances of your life? What is God putting together that's leading you in a direction? As I was interacting with these folks down in Louisiana about recovering from the the storm, one of the things we began to talk about was, you know what? Look to see if God is leading in those directions. Is he providing the resources? Is he providing the staff? Is he providing those things that allow you to move in that direction? Does your church support what you're doing? Does your leadership support what you're doing? God takes those circumstances and puts them together. And then finally, God guides us through the input of our communities. Do you know why you need a local church? Do you know why we need a small group? Do you know why we need 
relationships with mentors and, and, and teammates in this work that we're doing in this life that we're living, it's because we need their input. The person I see least clearly in terms of my motives, in terms of wisdom, in terms of all those kinds of things, is me. Now, I see you real clearly. I can guess your motives, but mine? I need the community. I need those in my life that ask the tough questions. Keith, why do you want to do that? Well, why are you going in that direction? Why do you think God would have you do that? Or to speak the encouraging words. You know what? I see God's hand too. I, I, I would affirm what I think you see and, and what's going on in your life. And it's not that you just take one of these, but when you put them all together and you get a sense of God leading in a direction, move that way. And do it in faith. You know, one of the coolest things that, that I find that people learn in life is that God directs as we're moving. He only directs the next step. Take that step. Don't try to figure out what the end is. Take the step that he's showing. We don't need to be isolated. At the men's breakfast last week, you missed a great video, you missed a great breakfast, you missed a great time of fellowship. Guys, if you weren't able to make it, But one of the verses that was in the video was this, and I love the ESV translation of it. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Do it on your own. And God says, you'll follow the directions of a fool. Now, when you put it all together, it looks something like this. Who shall I marry? That's the question here in Genesis chapter 24. Who should Isaac marry? Well, the first thing they did, and by the way, I put these in the order that I think of significance. First of all, are there pertinent biblical principles? Yes, for Abraham and for Isaac and for the servant, there were. God gave Cana to the people that were to come from Abraham's seed. And so that directed the path, that directed the directions of what this man did. What's my motivation? Is it selfish and self-serving and self-centered or other-centered? Now, understand everything we do is in some way stained with selfishness. But God, deal with my motivation. Marriage. I love doing premarital counseling. But one of the things you want to demonstrate to that couple is, are you here because this person makes you feel good and you're going to let them do that for the rest of their life? Or are you here to love them? To pour your life into them? To give who you are to them? What's your motivation? What does my community think? Those people that I respect, what kind of direction are they giving me in my life? Is there a reasonable choice with this? Do, are we compatible? Do we get along? Now, I will say Cindy and I struggled. She likes country music, and I absolutely don't. But, you know, we could reasonably work that out, folk music. But there may be ways that we cannot be compatible. Reason. When praying, where do I sense God's leading? I've talked with couples and talked with couples that I thought were really struggling in their engagements and said to them, you have a real sense that God doesn't want you to do this, don't you? 
What's God doing on the inside in response to my prayers? What does the general direction of my life and my life experiences indicate? Is this a time to be married? Maybe I should wait and do my circumstances move in a given direction? If someone declares, I'm getting married next year, oh, yeah, to who? I don't know. I haven't met anyone yet. God probably isn't working in that general direction. I don't think that's the next step of your life, even if your mother thinks it ought to be. You can do this in another way. For whom shall I vote? Well, are there biblical principles? Oh, yes. Principles about my responsibility to government and to civil authority and that I have a responsibility to them. I've told you, my own personal conviction is that I cannot not vote. I know. Do the sentence structure. Even though it's a tough choice. Because I believe in a fallen world, you often have tough choices. The quality of leadership. Is this person qualified by biblical standards? What do you do if they both aren't? Yeah, right. <laughs> Principles of the purpose of government. That as a believer, I'm to be praying and directing in a sense that the, the government will allow me to live a quiet and, and humble life and to, to serve the Lord and the things that I'm doing. Peter declares that so strongly in his epistle. These are biblical principles that I need to think through. Is my, is my motivation primarily selfish and self-serving? Am I looking beyond just me in terms of what is best not just for me? Yet there are times that I could vote for this thing knowing that for me, oh, that's great. But it is what is it? It, what is best for my community, for my nation, for my church. What does my community think? I have to just go on Facebook, and there's Christians on every side of this issue. But you know what I do? There are certain people that I listen to. And by the way, in some cases, they're not believers, but they're politically wise. They're people that I know have been consistent in their views and they've been consistent in the ways they've directed. And I listen to them. Is it a reasonable choice? I'll leave that one alone this time. No, not really. Stinking strategically. Thinking strategically. Where's this going to lead? And very honest, for me in this election, that's the main thing, is thinking strategically. When praying, where do I sense God's leading in my own heart? What does the general direction of my life and life experiences indicate? I've learned a certain way of seeing the world based on my life that affects how I make my choices. And then the do the circumstances move in a given direction. As we learn more and more about this one and that one or this issue and that issue. God leads. And you can do this for any decision. What church should I go to? What college should I go to? What job should I take? To just think through these issues. Why? God was leading in an Old Testament covenant relationship as he leads in a New Testament, New Covenant relationship. That leadership is the same. So you can plug in any decision you're making. And think things through. Now, when you get to the end, you'll be in one of three places. Either you'll be in a place where the decision is clear. Yes, God would have me do or not do this. What's your response? Do it. Or you may be in a situation where it's not clear. And you can wait. My suggestion, wait. 
But what about when it's, what is it, November 8th is election day or November 1st? I don't remember which. And you got to pull a lever. And you're still not sure. Beloved, that's God's grace. Do the best of what you believe God is asking you to do. And trust him. You know what? He may lead you to pull a different lever than he leads me. But remember, God is sovereign. I know he will lead you to marry someone different than he led me. God is sovereign. And even if things fall apart, God is sovereign. And he's working out his purposes. You see, in the end, it comes down to this. When I have honestly journeyed through the guidance God gives, I simply make a choice. Not in fear, not in anxiety, not in worry, not in anger. I make a choice. Knowing that he is sovereign, And in all things in my life, in my family, in my community, in my nation, in my church, in my world, he will work out his purpose to his glory. God guides, follow his leading, and know that he is working out his purpose in all that we do. Father, thank you for the work that you do in our lives, for the direction that you give to us. Father, I pray we will be those who seek your guidance and direction. It begins with a relationship with you and having your spirit living within us and guiding and leading and, and, and revealing. Father, as we do each Sunday morning, we invite anyone here who's not certain of their relationship with you or not certain of a forgiveness that comes through your son we encourage them, invite them to come and speak to someone here about that relationship. Father, as we begin in that relationship, thank you for the guidance and leading and direction you give in all the areas of our lives. And we pray it in the name of your Son. Amen.